Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. Or you can join us for one of our Sunday gatherings each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 a.m. I know some of you guys are looking at me and wondering, man, how did Bryant drop a few inches and grow an impressive beard this week? No, I am not Bryant. I'm not our lead pastor. My name is Tyler. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and every so often I get the privilege of stepping in and sharing from the stage, and it's always a fun time for me. Maybe not for you, but definitely for me, it's always, it's always really good. Really, I enjoyed our series thus far, our series with this, this cool double title where it's either loved deeply or it's love deeply. I'm not sure. It kind of depends on how you read it and how you stare at it long enough as to what it really says, but it's, it's this twofold meaning. This makes week three of our journey in this series, and in week one, Bryant told us that the God of the universe lavishly loved us. He told us that the God of the universe lavishly loved us, and because of that, he has brought us into his family and made us his children. So he's lavishly loved us. We're in his family, and now because we're a part of his family, we have a calling. We've got a challenge. We've got a a command to live a holy life that he equips us as his family to live out. In week two, he shared with us, and he told us that God has radically loved us. And his radical, radical love is most seen in us through righteous obedience. See, so he poured out this radical love and our response is this righteous obedience, not because we're supposed to obey God, but because his love is in us and it just naturally comes out of us in obedience to him. And today we're going to see that Christian love, this love that stems directly out of that lavish love, that radical love, Christian love is an active love. Christian love is a very active love. And we're going to look at this through the lens of 1 John chapter 3. So if you've got scripture with you this morning, love for you to go there. If you don't, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen behind us here in a minute. That's 1 John chapter 3. But before we jump into 1 John, I just got to know, does anybody here know who the king of pop is? Who's the king of pop? Somebody. Michael Jackson. That's right. There we go. I'm glad you guys knew that. Michael Jackson, this phenomenal artist. If you're unfamiliar with Michael Jackson, I'm pretty sure you live under a rock. And that's fine. It's okay. I'm just saying he's probably one of the most well-known artists of our time. Michael Jackson was originally a part of a group known as the Jackson Five, and through his career with the band, his brothers there, he started kind of his own solo career, and as the Jackson Five dissolved, his solo career really rocketed, and he made a lot of songs that hit pretty high on the charts. And one of, he's just one of those artists that, even though he's, he's been dead for a few years now, you still hear his songs on the radio because they're that good. They're that powerful. And one of his really good songs, it's one called Man in the Mirror. And in it, he says, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And the message couldn't have been any clearer. If you want to make the world a better place, you've got to take a look at yourself and make that change. 
It's a song with a lot of motivation and a lot of reflection in it, but it's also a song with really a challenge in it because so often we look at the world and we go, man, there's so much wrong with so many people, and if they just get it together, we'd be in a better state. But it's a song that challenges us to actually look at ourselves and go, maybe I need to start here. Maybe, maybe I can make improvements, and if I make improvements, that'll start to improve the world. And in kind of an indirect way, that's what John talks about in the book of 1 John. That's what he wrote about. And so we're going to dive into 1 John, and we're going to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to us through John's words. So we're going to jump in 1 John chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 11. It says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. All right, we're going to pause. So this is the message from the very beginning, according to John. Like, this, this is it. Like, this is that foundational, this is where it started. And he said the foundation where it started was loving one another. So it's this idea that anything you want to do in the name of Christianity, anything you want to do in the name of Jesus, like, it has to start on the foundation of loving one another or it's, it's not Christianity. It's not the point. And so if we don't start with this foundation of love, we've missed the point. It's that message that Jesus was saying from the very beginning. You've got to love God with everything you are, and you've got to love other people the way you'd want other people to love you. And it's the message his disciples took, and they carried, and they wrote down, and it's the message that we have, that everything has to start on this foundation of love, and so that's what we're going to build on today is this foundation of loving one another. So let's jump back in. It says, for the message that you've heard from the beginning is we should love one another. We should love one another unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and our sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or his sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. And if anyone has the world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or in speech, but in action and in truth. There's a lot in there, but honestly, the craziest part of all of that to me is that a brother killed his brother. Now, you may be familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, but I just want to give you the gist of it. Back at the very beginning, God creates this man, this woman, and they have a son. And their first son, his name is Cain. And then a little bit later, they have another son, and his name is Abel. And they start to grow up, and they do what good kids do. They get chores. I had chores. Some of you guys probably had chores growing up. Whether you wanted to do them or not, they were there. They were chores, and you had to do them. Parents said so, or you get in all kinds of trouble. Or at least I didn't get to watch TV, and that was the worst. The worst. So Cain and Abel, they get some chores. Cain has to look after the crops, and Abel has to look after the livestock. And I'm not sure who has the worst job here, because Cain's got to pick weeds, and that's the worst, and Abel's got to play with poop, and that's the worst. So 
Who knows? But they're, they're doing their chores. They le- they're living life. But along the way, Cain decides, hey, I'm going to bring an offering to God. So he takes some of his crops, and he goes and he offers it to God. Abel also says, I'm going to take an offering to God. So he takes the firstborn of all of his, his flock and the best ones, and he says, hey, I'm going to give this to God. And so he does. And God takes and he, he receives Abel's offering. But he's not pleased with Cain's. And Cain gets upset about this, understandably. And he gets upset, and God starts to talk to him. He goes, hey, Cain, you just got to you do, what, do what's right. Make sure you're doing what's right. But Cain, he can't get over it. He gets fixated on it. He becomes angry, and he does probably the most human thing, and he starts to blame somebody else for his own actions. Because it seems like Cain's motives just weren't pure. It seems like Cain... He brought this offering, but it wasn't for the right reason. And so he gets angry, and he he starts to blame his brother. And eventually he gets so fixated and angry that he invites his brother out to the field. And Cain literally invented murder by killing his own brother. John uses this story to kind of make us pause. And he uses this story to help us define the difference between what love is and what hate is. He says, this is the ultimate example of what hate is. When you hear that not loving somebody, that hating somebody could potentially put you, could potentially put us in the same category as Cain who murdered people, you're supposed to pause and go, whoa, wait a minute. And then you're supposed to kind of think about it. And you're like, well, if hating people makes me a murderer like Cain, like, do I hate people? And probably the natural response, like I know this would be my response if I were to really think about it, I'd go, I don't really hate people. Like, I got some people I dislike, no doubt. Got some people I dislike, but I don't hate. Well, I do hate the guy who cut me off in traffic the other day, and I'd punch him in the face, but I don't hate anybody. Like, I'm not that, I'm not that bad. You know, we hear this story of Cain, and we're supposed to pause and compare ourselves to him. And the real temptation here is to kind of take it and write it off a little bit and go, Cain murdered his brother. Like, I mean, me and my siblings, we fight, and I'd punch him in the face in a heartbeat, no doubt. But I'm not going to murder him. So I'm not as bad as Cain. And so our temptation with with this story, with this analogy that he lays out here, is to write it off. Say I'm not that bad. But that'd be a mistake. See, for John, when he writes things, he writes things in a very black and white manner. There's no gray middle ground. He, uh, he says in 1 John 3.10, either you practice righteousness and you're a child of God, or you don't practice righteousness and you're a child of the devil. No middle ground. 1 John 4.6, he says, either you're possessed by a spirit of truth or a spirit of deceit. There's no middle ga- ground. Either you tell the truth or you're a liar, and that's it. It says either you show love and you've got eternal life through Jesus, or you don't, you're hateful, and you are a murderer, just like Cain. And John writes this way because he knows human nature. He knows we're quick to brush off our own iniquities. We're quick to justify our actions and go, well, I did this, yeah, but this is why I did this. And so, I mean, it's, it's really not that bad. It's, it's okay because I did it because... We're quick to brush off our iniquities and we're quick to point out other people's failures. 
And as we hear this story, we're really supposed to stop and have some self-reflection. We're supposed to take some time. We're supposed to look into our soul and go, what's in here? What's inside of me? What defines me? Am, am, I, am I loving? Am I hateful? If we look into our soul and we, we look under our surface and we go, man, I don't, I don't think I've defined by love. Then we're supposed to take and run to our Savior. We're supposed to admit, say, I'm hateful and I know it. And let him transform our lives and make us into his image. On the other end of the spectrum of this example of Cain and his hatefulness is the example of Jesus. Now, like I said, you're probably familiar with Cain and Abel. You're probably familiar with Jesus. But still just want to give you a good gist of what we've got happening here. So let's let's talk about Jesus' story a little bit. So back before there was anything, God created everything. And he creates everything, and he creates the earth, and he creates a man and a woman, and he says, hey, you guys are in charge of the earth, and you can do whatever except one thing. He said, you can do whatever you want, but there's literally just one thing I need you to not do. And so like little kids, they, uh, they did the thing. Like you tell a little kid, you're like, hey, the lawnmower's hot. Don't touch the lawnmower. The next thing you know, you're having to bandage up where they touch the lawnmower, put some Neosporin on it because they got a big blister on there because they touched the hot lawnmower. So Adam and Eve, they touched a hot lawnmower, metaphorically speaking. They touched this hot lawnmower. They did the thing God told them not to do. And what they literally did was create sin. They created death. And they created a separation between humans and God that they couldn't fix. But God knew this was going to happen. He already had a plan in motion. And so some years later, God sent his son, Jesus, who was fully man. He was fully God. He sent him to earth, and he lived as the only sinless human that's ever existed. And he lived this sinless life, and then he let his, willingly let himself be tortured and killed on our behalf. A few days later, he actually rose from the dead because, again, he was this perfect, sinless human. And the power of death is sin. There has to be sin for death to have any power, and Jesus didn't have any, so death couldn't hold him, and he rose from the dead. And Jesus did all of this to fix the separation between humans and God. He did all of this out of, out of love for us. And so in John's very black and white style of writing, this is his example of love. It's a literal self-sacrifice. And so again, John wants us to kind of pause and self-reflect. He wants us to look at ourselves and go, okay, well, would I sacrifice myself for somebody? And like for me, like I know if it came down to a situation where it was either me or my wife, it'd be me every time. Not a question. I'd sacrifice myself for my wife every time. Some of you probably feel the same way about a, about a spouse or a significant other. Maybe you feel that way about your kids. Like, let's be honest, your kids are the absolute worst, and you want to punch them in the face, and you're ready for them to grow up and get out of the house. But also, you love them like no other. You love them, and you'd willingly step in and sacrifice yourself for them without hesitation. So, yeah. 
you'd sacrifice yourself for some people. But here's the catch to this. See, Romans 5.10 tells us that Jesus died for us while we were his enemies. Jesus didn't die for people who cared for him. Jesus died for people who didn't. Jesus died for people who were living in complete opposition to him, people who were doing exactly what he told them not to do. So the question isn't what I sacrifice myself for somebody I care about. The question becomes what I sacrifice myself for somebody I don't know. What I sacrifice myself for somebody that gets on my nerves. What I sacrifice myself for my jerk boss. What I sacrifice myself for somebody who's got different political views from me. What I sacrifice myself for that guy who cut me off in traffic the other day. What I sacrifice myself for somebody that I think of as an enemy. See, John intentionally created some tension here. He created this tension, and he wants us to have to deal with it. He wants us to look and consider, am I more like Cain? Am I more like Jesus? It's a tension that we shouldn't easily dismiss. It's a tension that we're supposed to just sit in. We're supposed to stay there go, who am I more like? We're meant to determine that by whether or not we're loving or hateful. John said we've got to determine who we are and what we look like based on something. I told you at the beginning, Christian love is a a very active love. John makes that clear. He tells us, he goes, if you've got the ability to help somebody who's in need, but you choose not to, instead you choose to take and harden your heart against them, how can you claim to have God's love? If you look at somebody and say, I could help you, but nah, not today. How do we claim to have God's love in that moment? We always, we think about love and we think about it in this, this feeling way. You know, how I feel about something. We think about how we feel about something or someone like, I love pizza and I love ice cream and cake. I love Mountain Dew. I love my wife. I love my kids. Like, I love these things, but it's so much more than this, this abstract feeling that we go with. In this feeling realm of love, it's very... It's unclear. It's indefinable. But love has a very clear definition. Deeds are what concretely define what love is. Love is action. Love is understandable by what we're willing to pay for it. When we look at Jesus, we we can define his love by what he was willing to give. We can look at him and go, he's willing to give everything for those he loves. Now, John isn't writing this and saying, all right, so you just, you got to love people a lot better. And, and when you love people a lot better, then, then you're going to know God and it's going to be fine. It's not a statement of this is how you get to God. For John, this is a litmus test. It's a measuring stick. He says, let's, let's put your deeds beside you. 
goes, man, you're not very loving. Clearly, you don't already have a relationship with God. It's a test of whether or not we're already in that relationship with Jesus is to see what our deeds say. So John wrote this this letter, this 1 John. He wrote it to believers. He wrote it to Christians. He wrote it to a church that was going through what we would kind of call like a church split. They had some issues about how you should worship Jesus and exactly who Jesus was and all this different stuff. And they, they were arguing about it and they, they, were, they were getting ready to start two separate churches. And John steps in in this letter and in the midst of this, this chaos, this anger, this hate, he goes, hey guys, you've got to love each other. You've got to love other believers. You've got to care for your fellow Christians. And he wants us to do that in a very active way, not just by saying I care about you, but by showing that we care about one another. And so we as an exchange church family, we've got to be able to look and go, well, we care about each other, right? So let's talk about our family for a minute. Now, when you come to the exchange and you see people in orange lanyards, that's more than likely people that are part of a team called guest services. I get the joy of overseeing our guest service team. And these are people who literally come here to make other people feel welcome here. They come in to make people feel like they belong as a part of the exchange. And they have to spend extra time here. They've got to spend extra energy smiling. Sometimes on days they didn't feel like smiling. And they sometimes even spend some of their own resources to make it happen. And so that's an act of love. That's a service to others because they care about us. And probably the, the most ultimate compliment that I love to hear from, this, from people week in and week out about our team, our guest service team, is that, Hey, man, the exchange is a really welcoming place. Because, I mean, that's literally the ultimate compliment you can pay to a team that exists to welcome you is to tell them that where you are is welcoming. And they do that out of an act of love. If you serve with our little life, our kid life, our student life, you serve with these teams in order to share the gospel with kids and students and to disciple them, to help them in their walk with Christ, that is an act of love. Maybe you serve on our worship team or you hide in the background and you serve on our tech team. They do that out of an act of love. Maybe you stand outside our building and keep us secure or you clean our building when nobody else is here or you lead a life group off campus because you care about our exchange family and you do it out of this act of love. Spending your time, your resources to serve other people, to serve other believers, that's an act of love. And it's just a few examples of the way that we as a family try to love one another and care about one another. But let's be honest for a minute. Some people are just hard to love. Some people are just difficult. Some people are just the worst. And you're like, I tried though. I tried real hard. And like 30 minutes into it, I was ready to punch them. Like we were done. Some people are hard to love because they're mean. They say mean things. They do mean things. 
they're selfish, they're rude. They they've got these different views than you have and they're so they're so staunch in their views that they they come across hateful if you don't feel the same way about their view. And we've got these people that sometimes they do things that you don't agree with and sometimes people do foolish and sinful things and you're like, "Gosh, I'm so tired of this. I'm just ready to throw my hands up and be done with them." And that's a really that's that's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to be done with people. It's an easy thing to step outside of our family and talk about what happened and talk about other people. It's an easy thing to hop on social media and share with the world what happened, why it happened, and how you feel about it. Those things are really easy to do. They're almost always unhelpful, and they are always done unlovingly. I'll never forget the Sunday I was working at a previous church and I had several people reach out to me, and they told me, hey, a parent of one of your students is, has been talking about you today, like a lot in Sunday school. And see, this parent, he was upset that I'd planned a student event on the same weekend that the school had a large event as well. Now, what he didn't know was that I had called the school months in advance to make sure nothing was happening that weekend. He was unaware of that, and so on their recommendation that nothing was going on, I planned an event that weekend. I booked a band. I booked a speaker. I had these people already. They were there. They were locked in, and so once the school planned this event on top of me, it just kind of had to keep going. There was no way to move it around. It was too late. Things were set in stone, and so we went forward with it, and honestly, it was a really fantastic event. It went well despite the fact we were missing about half our students. But this parent didn't know all that. And frankly, he couldn't know all that because he never came and talked to me about any of it. Instead of coming and talking to me, he went and told other people about it. And so for months, his unloving nature caused me to have to deal with gossip about whether or not I was competent and whether or not I was cut out for the job I was doing. And it was all simply a big misunderstanding that we could have cleared up in a quick conversation. But he wasn't willing to come and have what he thought might be a hard conversation with me. See, not loving fellow Christians is easy. That's an easy thing to do, and it's why we do it so often. But probably the most active way you can love other Christians is to talk to them about what happened. It's to lean in and to to have hard conversations. And the truth is, at least here, you don't even necessarily have to have that conversation with the other person. Here, we, as our staff team, we've got an open-door policy that's not like, hey, our door's open, come talk to us, and then get out so I can get done with what I'm doing. We've got an open-door policy, and we literally want you to come and talk to us. Like, that is our desire. If something happens, come talk to us about it. We want to know about it. We want to be able to step in and walk through this with you to know what's going on and be able to seek a solution together. We'd much rather take the time to fix this, to talk about it, to see what can be done, than to find out sometime later that you stepped outside of our family and you tried to deal with it out there by just talking about it. Or that you did the worst thing that honestly happens more often than not, You got upset about it. Maybe understandably, you might be in the right. But 
but you got upset about it, and so you left. I could count off people for days that have done exactly that. They got upset about it, and so instead of coming to talk about it, trying to find a solution for it, they left. And so now the problem never got dealt with, and they're outside of spiritual community, which they absolutely need, which we all need. And so the most loving thing we can do is to talk about it. But loving people is hard. Loving people is messy because people will let you down. Other believers will let you down. Your Christian leaders and your exchange staff will let you down and make mistakes. None of us are perfect. And so let's talk about it when it happens. Let's show each other love and grace when we fail. Let's handle this stuff in a productive manner and look for a solution together. That's the example that Jesus ultimately gave us. He looked at a bunch of people that he had given this perfect creation to and messed it up. And he gave them grace. He looked at these people that were living in complete opposition to him. And he gave him grace. And doing that cost him everything. And I know he'd do it again. Back in 2003, a band came out with a single from their third album. The single was titled, Where's the Love? This song, Where's the Love, it is the song that ultimately put the Black Eyed Peas on the map. They had been a band since 1995, but it took them over eight years to finally get some notoriety when their first two albums really weren't good. And they finally got some notoriety off of this song because, yeah, the song is catchy. The song's got a good beat to it, no doubt. But they got notoriety off of this song because of the words it actually says. The words are what ultimately made this song be one of the top-selling songs of the 2000 to 2010 decade. And throughout this song, they lament all of these problems that are going on in the world. They talk about terrorism, government hypocrisy, racism, gang violence, pollution, war, intolerance. And the song had such a huge social impact that a few years later, in 2016, the Black Eyed Peas came together and they said, look, we got we to gotta re-record this song. Because, yeah, what we said was great, but, man, we feel like there's some things that are happening now that we didn't address in that song. And so we want to we readdress some issues. We want to talk about some new things. And so they released a remix with some updated lyrics. And I want to I share some of these lyrics with you, but I'll go ahead and tell you I, I don't sing. I'm not going to sing. I don't have great rhythm, but hopefully you can kind of look past me and you can actually hear the words from this song. It says, people killing, people dying. There's children hurting, I hear them crying. It says, can you practice what you preach? Would you turn the other cheek? Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above. Because people got me, got me questioning. Where's the love? Nations dropping bombs, killing our little ones. Ongoing suffering as the youth die young. Where's the love when a child gets murdered or a cop gets knocked down? Black lives matter. Everybody matters. Everybody hates somebody. Guess we're all a little racist. 
All these protests with different colored faces. We were all born with a heart. Why do we chase it? And every time I look around, every time I look up, every time I look down, no one's standing on common ground. Where's the love in this? I hear this song, and I think about our world, and I'm convinced this is, this is exactly what our world is crying. This is what our world is screaming out right now. They look at a world that's so often surrounded by this thick fog of hate, and they're standing there going, where is love in the midst of this? They look at a world that's broken, and they can feel the brokenness of our society, and they go, what is happening? Where is love in the midst of all of this? John wrote his letter, his first John, specifically to believers. But when I read it, and I remember that John is the disciple of Jesus, I know that the words go further than that. Because I look at Jesus' life and I see example after example after example of Jesus loving not just the people in his circle, but he loves people all around him that he knew were ultimately going to torture and kill him. But yet he loved on them anyway. And so when I read First John, I don't just read it as saying, hey, you got to love the church. Yes, we absolutely need to love the church. We need to love each other. We need to love other believers, other brothers and sisters, other Christians. We need to love one another well. But we're not called just to love each other. We're called to love people outside of us. Hate so often speaks louder than love does. But hate never changes hearts for the better. If you don't believe me, look at an internet argument. They never go well. Both people, they argue, they're usually pretty hateful to one another, and then by the end of it, they're just more entrenched in their views, and nothing changed. But hate will spread. Hate never changes hearts because it doesn't have the power to. Love is the only thing that can lead people to the truth. Love is the only thing that will allow people to willingly listen to us, the church, because we're the ones with the truth. But if we don't love people well first, they're never going to listen to what we have to say. Loving people is going to sometimes mean you get hated back. Loving people is sometimes going to cost you Loving people is a risk, but it's one worth taking. And I know that because it was one Jesus found worth taking. He looked at a world that didn't love him, and he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love them anyway. It's complicated to love people. It's hurtful. It's messy. And because of all this, we tend to isolate ourselves away from the people that need our love most. But 1 John calls us as God's children, as Jesus' followers, and as the Holy Spirit's vessel to love people. Not just with our words and with our speech, but to love people in our actions and in truth. Because Christian love is a very active love. Let me pray for us. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, 
visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.